Hello, and welcome to ng-build-pod, where we share with you our knowledge of Angular, all the mistakes we've made, and some of the things we've gotten right. I'm Chris Kamak, and with me as always is John Graham. We are both full-stack Angular developers that love to share and be part of the developer community. We both work here at Miles Technologies in Lumberton, New Jersey on the engine team, and we've spent the last several years building out our Angular template for the Miles software division. So John, why don't you tell us what you've been up to lately? Yeah, so it's uh, been a little bit since we got a, a pod out, and we'll explain why, I think, shortly. Uh, the first thing our keen listeners might realize is that it may sound like we're in the same room. Wow. Because we are. Big time. Big time changes. I know, right? Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, I mean, not, not too much uh, exciting you know, going on. It's the summertime. The daughter broke her arm oh, no. on the steps. Yeah, you know. So we had our first uh, experience with uh, Cass and the family. Believe it or not, they can make them all like water. Like they can get wet now. Well, kids have it so easy. These I know. Days. I was like, uh, I was like in the emergency room, like on Amazon, about to buy the little wrap thing that you right. put on their arm. Right. And they came out. They're like, No, you actually like have to get it wet every single day. Like it's a requirement. And I was like, Well, this is crazy. Man, where is my old man hat and my flip flops? Because I need to <laughs> say some stuff about this younger generation. How easy they have it. <laughs> yeah. So uh, yeah, but other than that, you know, just enjoying the summer. The the new we have the new deck. I think I mentioned a while back. So you know, some some nice times out there. Nothing too spectacular. Vacation coming up soon, end of August. So looking forward to that. Uh, but yeah, that's it. Really, nothing nothing too new. Just kind of taking it easy. Uh, how about you? Uh, I've really um, been been enjoying playing uh, the guitar. I mean, I've mentioned that a couple of times before. But one of the new things that happened for me is I actually had a jam session. For the first time ever like something where another musician came over who's never played with me before uh they started playing something i sort of found something that fit with them we went back and forth sort of trading that experience it was really fun and it definitely had me growing in a different direction so it's kind of kind of great felt like a real musician well that's some strong wording but it's like but, it's like when me and you get into pair programming and we just finish each other's lines of code it right? was exactly like yeah. that John. <laughs> it was exactly like that totally <laughs> Cool. So, uh, what what is uh, what is the re- what is the special occasion today? We're in the same room. It's been like nine years since we did a podcast. Mm-hmm. Tell tell the people what they want to know, Chris. Well, we we realized that uh, we've been talking for a long time about this uh, Breckenridge project that we've been working on for years. This template that we use here at Miles, and uh, we wanted to do an episode that sort of talked a little bit about what it is and what it might be like to use it. And then we realized, well, we build it, but we don't. We don't really use it very much. So why don't we get someone in here who actually has used it? So we have a special guest for you today, Tom Shetler, one of our uh, star uh, developers using Breck. And uh, he's going he's gonna to be here to talk to us about a little bit, let us know what's going on with it and how it works. Hey, Tom, uh, why don't you just give us a little bit about yourself? Uh, absolutely. First of all, thanks for having me, guys. Um, so my background is I primarily came from uh, web development. Um, which didn't really involve any kind of backend stuff. Uh, did a little bit of work with React, uh, worked at a company that used WordPress for a little bit, and then I joined Miles, and now I work pretty much only in uh, Angular and C Sharp, and uh, also doing a little bit of Ionic stuff, now that we're doing mobile uh, templates as well, which is uh, pretty cool, but yeah. No, that's, 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 that's really good. That's a nice, good summary. We're really glad to have you on the team, too, so... Um, what we're going to do is we're going to go into our quick tips of the day, and then we're going to launch into kind of an interview process here with Tom. 
So we'll see how that goes. Hey, John, what do you have us for have with us for a quick tip today? Yeah, and uh, if I could just before I give you my quick tip, my quick input, I think Tom's being a little modest. He's definitely one of the what I would consider top Breckenridge developers that we have here. Somebody who's learned quite a bit about the template and has used it in a lot of scenarios. So uh, really excited to kind of share with the audience, uh, you know, the the perspective of somebody that uses it regularly. You know, I, it's kind of like, I, I feel like almost sometimes we're like mechanics, but we ride a bicycle to work. So like, it'll be nice to talk to somebody that drives the cars that we build. I know a few hipsters that do that. <laughs> oh yeah. I believe it. <laughs> okay. So yeah, my, uh, my quick tip is really around something that I've been reading about soon or recently, which is uh, a concept known as engineering excellencies. So, you know, we have the engineering team here. Um, I happen to be in charge of it. Uh, by title and sometimes by practice, but uh, you know it's it's hard sometimes I think to figure out how to measure what it is that we do, you know, and how we help people, and uh, if it's impactful, if it's not impactful. So a lot of what I've been doing this year is just trying to understand that problem better because we've been putting out a lot of content, and and I want to make sure that it's useful. Uh, so I found this uh, topic, and I encourage people to Google it. Uh, to engineering excellencies in software. And it really kind of goes into, you know, how do you measure uh, the output or the impact that you have on people, not necessarily the output of what your team is providing, right? So like, if I say we need to release every single month, you know, that's fine. That could be an, an indicator of how we're doing, but it doesn't guarantee that our release actually helps people, right? That it actually does something useful. Which is certainly the goal. Which I think is the goal, but we lose track of that quickly when we create these indicators that are just really like results driven and not necessarily like, you know, impact driven. Right. Um, so this gives you a lot of great input on how you can adjust your mindset. And I've certainly taken a few things and shared with you guys uh, some things that I think we're going to change it to. So, you know, it's just my tip is to throw out there if anybody's feeling like they were in the same position I felt uh, to check that out. All right. No, I, that's that's good. Um, my quick tip is actually around something I was asked to do recently, um, having to do with looking into adding um, Google Pay and Apple Pay into one of our uh, front-facing applications. And uh, you know, it really came to us because we were just trying to see what the best route would be for adding this into our existing um, setup. And uh, what I realized is something I, I really hadn't looked into before was, was what's the best way of doing these. And what I realized... Our, our size of our company, really, we shouldn't be building something that's going to be accepting these payments in a very direct manner. I mean, we're not a payment processor. That's not what we do. Uh, we're trying to integrate. So uh, what I realized and the tip I'm going to give is if you're ever looking to accept payments, you really should look into the different payment processors that are out there. Uh, they already have software built for you that you can just integrate into. Uh, of course, there's, there's some fees involved, but they're pretty minor. Uh, and I think that you're going to end up needing a processor of some sort anyway. You might as well make your choice based on what sort of um, software they're offering to you. Uh, one of the ones that I looked into was by PayPal. It's Braintree. And uh, they certainly seem to have a lot of options. I mean, if you want to accept Bitcoin, apparently you can do that through Braintree, which I don't know. I don't know that I want to do that, but, but it, it's, a, it's available. Venmo, uh, Apple Pay, Google Pay, pretty much all the major ones. You got to ride Bitcoin to the moon, Chris. I want Dogecoin. To the moon. Yeah. Can I accept Dogecoin? You'd be losing a lot of money right now if you uh, did that. <laughs> unfortunately. Yeah. But, uh, true. True. Cool. And our special guest, we, we're going to get a quick tip from uh, 
our good friend Tom. So I'm going to also kind of piggyback a little bit off of Chris's quick tip, actually, and just kind of uh, in a, kind of stress the idea that if there is a solution out there for a problem that you aren't necessarily sure how to face, uh, and there's a pretty you know, well-regarded like company that has a product that they offer, you know, you should definitely take a look at it. My example that I'd like to offer is uh, Google Maps. I, within the last couple of weeks, have not found a problem where it comes to location services that Google Maps is not able to solve or that someone there has not already figured out. Like regardless of how, you know, custom or like minute of a detail it is, I've just thought, hmm, they probably have a way to do this and they do. Um, there was a good example is there's this thing called the Haversine formula, which is basically how do I find the distance between two like latitude, longitude, like points on a map. Um, and I thought, you know, I could like code this all out in C sharp on the back end, or I could just do a quick Google search and be like, Hey, Google maps. Like if I gave you two spots, would you be able to tell me this? And they're like, we already got you. So, you know, yeah, there's much, there's usually an easier way to do something. So. I, I agree to the Google APIs have always, uh, been very, very easy to work with, I think. Mm -hmm. No, 100%. Their documentation just makes it really, really easy to get, you know, a lot of complex tasks done. I mean, if you guys want to feed the Google overlords, <laughs> you can do that. Honestly, the only people that I think have better documentation than Google is probably Microsoft. Microsoft's docs are Whoa. so useful. Wow. That'll, that'll get you kicked out of some places. <laughs> wow. You say that. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> No, I think, the truth. I think that the docs on, on a lot of things have gotten so much better over time. I mean, if you have someone who has an issue with the Microsoft docs, they're probably uh, someone who hasn't, who has a memory of that, you know, like if you look at it today, they're not, they're not bad. They're actually pretty decent. Um, but, you know, a few years ago when we were looking into this stuff, they were not your friend. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I feel like too, as like a team that has tried to create documentation, I'm very much more forgiving than most developers might be. You yeah. Because it's just brutally hard to do it right and make it consistently right. Yeah. I need a team of 20 interns, please. <laughs> yeah. I'm still waiting for that. Uh, what's the uh, the person that writes down everything that happens in a court? Stenographer. I keep telling uh, my boss, Dennis, I was like, just hire me a stenographer. Write down everything I say all day, and we won't have to really worry about documentation anymore. Yeah. You just write it all down. Everything I say, every word. Sounds great. Isn't that, <laughs> isn't that Alexa's job, though? I, I don't feed the Amazon overlords right. either. Chris. Okay, just checking. I'm a brave DuckDuckGo guy myself. <laughs> wow. <laughs> okay. But, well, uh... Good stuff. <laughs> so, cool. Tom, we have a, a few questions for you. I mean, as our, as our you know, guest star here, we're going to be pretty much seeing everything through your eyes. Uh, you know, and that's on purpose because John and I are a little too close to it, right? But before we even get into anything having to do with Breck, um, I want to expound a little bit on the background you already gave. I, I want to say, you know, you've been working in tech now for you know uh, several years uh, with Miles for plenty of them, a couple of them now, and you know that's that's a real lifetime in software development. You know, in, in a year things can change so so much. So, um, what do you think has changed for you? over that time? Like, you know, how, how have you progressed, say, in the past year or two? Uh, great question. Um, I think probably the most notable uh, exception or, I guess, thing that has changed, and I think maybe a lot of people who are very new to the software development field can probably relate to, um, is this idea of the imposter syndrome. So the idea that you're able to do something competently, but you kind of always self-doubt yourself as to whether or not you're actually competent in it. 
which I guess is the opposite of Dunning-Kruger, where you think you're way better at it than you actually are. Um, Those are dangerous too, though. Oh, 100%. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> um, yeah, but starting out uh, at Miles, I had not really done any um, kind of like back-end development or it was kind of all like front-end JavaScript kind of stuff. Um, never really been super competent at it. But over the uh, past couple of years, you know, I started to kind of learn the lingo a lot more and it's become a lot easier for me to feel very confident in the things that I talk about or, you know, the things that I feel that I'm like a subject matter expert in. Um, and that's, I think, probably the biggest difference that I've noticed in the last, you know, two, three years uh, since I started working with Miles. Yeah, I kind of, um, this might be a little bit out there, uh, but I kind of equate it to um, Plato's cave. You're familiar with that from philosophy? Um, where uh, essentially you don't know what's outside the cave, so you just stay inside of it. This is a, if you want to look this up at some point, uh, Plato's Cave is a great example of the concept we're talking about, where you just don't know what the other side looks like, and you're kind of like not there, so you can't see it. And then as soon as you come out of the cave and you look back inside of it, you realize how small it really is. Like you can't tell that from the inside because it's all you know. And I think the imposter syndrome that you're describing is very similar you don't even know necessarily that you're suffering from it. Like you think to yourself, well, I, I don't have that problem. But then once you're beyond it, once you actually feel like you can say, yes, I feel pretty confident, even if I'm not totally confident about the solution, I'm confident about my ability to get there. That really changes the game because now you can look back and you can say, it didn't matter that I didn't know before. I just didn't know that. You right, know? 100%. I think part of the key is not getting out of the mindset of comparing yourself to maybe like the top people at your company, because that's not really what you should be doing because they come from different backgrounds, might have more years of experience than you. What you really should be comparing is, am I better than I was three months ago, five months ago, a year ago? Like, am I able to do like this thing a lot better than I do? Or like, oh, I know like the command line utility for that. And maybe I didn't know that like a couple of months ago or something like that. Um, and that's, I think, probably the most healthy way especially going forward to think about like improving as a developer, you know, just kind of little, little steps every time I keep actually a notebook um, where I write down little like tidbits of stuff that I want to remember uh, that I that can then look back on. And after like three or four times looking at it, now I just remember it. Um, and yeah, that's a little tip I picked up from the uh, pragmatic programmer. Ooh. Excellent. Excellent. <laughs> An excellent read. Anybody who has not read that, I highly recommend it. It really is probably the most impactful single resource I've ever like had on just straight up development. Yeah. I don't disagree with that. No. And they just came out with their new version as well. So, so I read the new version. Yeah. 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 It's, it's great. I just want to say we, we might, you might need to pause and rewind because there was just so much bombs dropped over the past five minutes or so by you guys with all these Dunning Krugers and, <laughs> Plato's closets and all these things like that. Plato's <laughs> closet. That, that's for the used clothing. Just okay. saying, that's different. Uh, you know, you're talking about small spaces and stuff. I don't know. I can't keep up. But <laughs> no. So yeah, I mean, that's been great to hear. Fun, fun fact. You might not know, Chris. Uh, I interviewed Tom. Wow. Yeah. Really? Way back in the yeah. Day. Way back in the day. Yeah. I had a mustache and everything. I, I remember the mustache. <laughs> I that really, much I, remember. I, I really must not have known what I was doing back then. No, just kidding. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, we, we, it goes way back. So yeah, I mean, I, I think you're right, Tom, and, and you definitely, you know, had a lot of that potential, and it's good to see you kind of, you know, developing into it now, right? Where you're more confident in what you're doing, and you come up with good solutions, uh, and and yeah, that's great. So enough about you. The people aren't here for you, Tom. 
Well, they're... they might be after this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's going to get his own podcast and like have instantly more listeners than we do. That's but, right. <laughs> but we're really here to talk about Angular, right? And when we talk about Angular here within Miles, we call it Breckenridge, right? That's our template. Uh, that's what we use. Um, and, you know, we've, I think Chris and I have described the different aspects of it to our listeners in different ways, but I really would like to know from your perspective, right, as somebody who's always been a consumer and not really, you know, uh, a creator necessarily, you know, how would you explain it to like your buddy in the bar, you know, over drinks, you know, what it is that you use and work on every single day, assuming they know a little bit about Angular uh, already? Uh, you know, how do you describe Breck or what, what would you say? Right. Okay. Um, so the way that I would describe Breckenridge specifically is, and if I was describing to somebody who had absolutely no background, I would say, imagine any application that you've used, whether it's on your phone, whether it's something on the internet that you like uh, have bookmarked and you go to, and you go to a page where it says, log in with your username and password. And you can do that. And it can remember all of your preferences, all that kind of stuff. And it manages like your user profile. Uh, that is essentially what Breckenridge is from an Angular perspective. So it's kind of your base template of, I have users that can log in, that can do you know certain kinds of stuff and management right out of the gate um, without you having to necessarily like skeleton up a huge like template like from scratch. Like most of like 90% of all tutorials that say, this is how you use Angular will say, you know, make a new project and do all this. Breckenridge kind of abstracts and like simplifies that process for you. Um, it makes the user like login authentication system like right off the bat for you. So I honestly, <laughs> I've worked for Brecken with Breckenridge for a couple of years. And I still know just like the light details of the shallow end of the pool of how the authentication works. Um, but that's a good thing because it's helpful that I don't necessarily need to understand how that works. A customer can then come to us and say, you know, I want to have an app that tracks, you know, a user's location and their distance and their, you know, where they are, how long they've been on the app. And I don't really have to worry about, okay, well, you know, how are we going to like authenticate users? How are we going to get the app set up? How are we going to host it? All that kind of stuff that all those problems are already taken care of me. I can just focus on the specific, I guess, uh, like domain language or business domain uh, that the customer wants to deal with. And that is, you know, what my job is. Awesome. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's a that's a great summary, and, and we've we've always tried to make it like what I've really changed my terminology around it is like I always tell people it's not a solution, right? So like you don't say, oh, I have this problem. Well, Breckenridge will solve that for me. Uh, what I always tell people is it's it's the tool belt, right? So it's I have this problem. I need a hammer. I need a drill. I need some wood. I need some nails. And Breckenridge is all of those things. It's the hammer, the wood, the nails, the drill. But you as the carpenter or developer or architect or, um, you know, what a chief visionary officer of the project uh, need to take all the tools and put them together and, uh, you know, create something for it. And, uh, and it's like you said, you know, it's uh, you can get a million tutorials to explain to you how to do an NG new. Um, but you don't get a millions of tutorials that shows you like what to do after that. You know, now I got this app and it's running, you know, what do I do now? So, um, so yeah, that, that's a, that's a great summation. And I'm, I'm glad that you're, you're able to like really find the right ways to work with it. Right. And just like to a compound on that a little bit, like in your example, like you could find a million tutorials that will say, you know, here is how you would maybe like track a user state while they use an application. 
the nice thing about Breckenridge is that we know that the guys who have built it, primarily you and Chris and Jamil, um, uh, are always making the best decisions, not necessarily like what is going to work, but what's the best way that we can make this work, um, which gives us a lot of confidence too, as developers, knowing that, you know, we don't really have to keep track of those kind of like concerns a lot of the time, um, at least for like the base authentication kind of things, or, you know, the, the wood, the, like the wood's going to be good. The nails aren't going to be rusty and old. Um, and it, you know, that makes this our analogy job. is getting a lot of miles. <laughs> it makes our job a lot easier. As my analogies tend to do, Chris. That's right. We'll have to talk about the railgun analogy I made this morning. Oh my. <laughs> oh my. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, that, and that's good. And you don't have to uh, butter us up because you're on our podcast. By the way. We'll probably get to oh, it. I would some never point. Dare. Yeah. We'll probably get to at some point, the things you don't like about it, which I think is fair to share with people. Cause we always try to be realistic on the podcast, right? Yeah. Like when to use something, when not to use something. Uh, but that's good to hear. You know, I'm glad to hear that, um, that you feel good about the, the kind of relationship between you as a Breck developer and, and us as a, uh, a, a Breck engineer, if you will. Um, because really we're talking about a separation of concerns, you know, um, you're concerned about your app. You're concerned about getting the features in it that the uh, customer needs. Uh, you're making sure that the business logic is working out well, that it presents well, you know, and those are what your concerns are. And our concerns are that it's secure, uh, that there's a standard set of forms to work with. You know, these are the types of things we're worried about, that things are consistent and that, that we have best practices in play. Uh, and because we have that separation of concerns, we can both do our job better. You know, if we had to worry about everything, that's where it gets hard. I mean, think about Microsoft, for an example. Um, if you're on a Microsoft team, that team isn't build, build Windows. That's not your team. Your team is to build a very specific aspect of it, to work on one thing in particular. And then maybe you move to another uh, project team and you work on another specific aspect. And we're really trying to simulate that here. Even though what we do is custom software development, we're still trying to create uh, some sort of separation of concerns so that we can focus. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it just makes our jobs a lot easier. And then I get to spend more of my time playing with, uh, you know, cool third-party API integrations that I wouldn't have otherwise if I had to, you know, like you said, set, concern myself with the entire project from like the first line to the last line of code. Right. So I'm going to ask you this one. You've worked on a probably a handful of projects here at Miles that really have nothing to do with the Breck template. Uh, I think you had a React app in there at one point that you were working with, maybe. Um, but my point is you've worked on some things that are not Breck template at all. And what do you see as a difference in the project life cycle in those situations? Like, how does that project flow differently? Um, that's a great question. Um, I'm trying to think of a specific example. Uh, one thing that is a lot different is that when things go wrong, you don't necessarily have a specific spot that you can look to because the one nice thing about the Breck template, or I guess like our culture, especially like as a company around it, is that we have a dedicated, um, like Google chat where we can put all of our kind of questions. It's basically like an interactive knowledge base where anyone can put questions or run into issues and post stuff there. And you could kind of consult that for any time you find something that like goes wrong. Whereas in these other apps that might be, you know, older or like, you know, not really less supported or not currently adding like new features to it. Um, you might be running into issues that you're just like, 
a weird aspect maybe of like let's say like angular js or something where you don't necessarily know it because it's so fundamentally different from like angular 2 plus um that you just have to kind of like google for a while someone on engine obviously will help you if you ask um but it's a lot more difficult sometimes to trace down issues uh than it is with you know breckenridge just because of the combination of the ease of the template and the culture and the you know environment around it and the wealth of documentation that we have, um, especially with our like GitLab wiki pages. Um, I guess the other thing uh, is it's a lot harder as when you don't have a team or a dedicated team specifically concerned with, let's say, deployment. Uh, a good example is I won't say the customer's name, but we have a application that we actually just started working on again. That is a Windows Surface tablet app i don't know if i butchered that name or not because i never use the surfaces but in this case uh it's a point of sale system tablet uh and our deployment process is not great because we've never really like sat down as a team and nailed it and really thought okay this needs to be updated for new you know software updates you know it relies on kind of an old process that is kind of janky and isn't necessarily the best way that it could possibly be um and that always presents a struggle every time we have to deploy that um, so yeah, that's just the cost of not really having like a standardized, you know, template of something that a, a team is always working on and it's like adapting constantly to updates, uh, and B that just, you know, doesn't really have like the same kind of knowledge base to ask questions or, uh, you know, get resources for help on that. Yeah. I would say let, uh, the other things that you've mentioned, it sounds like you're kind of out on a limb, you know, you mm -hmm. don't have the exact support level that you do in the other cases so that's that's good to know yeah and uh you know you kind of uh, i think you know it segues nice into something that i've been curious to know and this might be your first opportunity to take a jab at us um but uh you know something that you know definitely occurs and what i'm sure a lot of our audience members can relate to is when you're working on applications you inevitably pull in third-party packages Right. So inevitably, like the Google Maps, you probably have some sort of package that you're pulling in to work with Google Maps. Um, you know, you need to know if, it, if a number is even or odd. There's packages to tell you if a number is even or odd. You shouldn't use them, but they're there. Uh, so there's a lot of opportunity. And, and I think like what we've tried to do uh, with Breckenridge is mimic sort of that packageized open source within Miles um, environment. Uh, as best we can, while hopefully cutting out some of the bad things. But I'm curious, you know, because you definitely still work with third-party packages even while you're working with Breck. So how does your experience differ when you're you're working with a Breckenridge package versus when maybe you're working with a, an open source package? And I want to know the good. I want to know the bad. You know, I want to know like you know what's uh, what keeps you up at night. You know, what why what, what when you can't sleep. Uh, the differences between those two. Because I think like we've tried to mimic that dynamic. So I'm curious how you feel about it. Well, I, not to butter you guys up too much, I really like our in-house packages. Um, I think the system works really well. And the main reason is there, there comes a lot of times as developers where you have, let's say, a very abstract requirement or something that maybe you haven't worked on in the past and you've got a very tight deadline and you know that the time it would take you or the effort or even maybe the knowledge that you just don't have to get it done without requiring the use of like a third party package to get it done. Um, and so then you have to, you know, obviously go search NPM or go Google and maybe stack overflow, see like, you know, what, uh, 
what options do I have? Or like, hopefully maybe, maybe someone in the past has also run into a similar issue that they have to tackle. Um, but then like the problem with that relies on is that a, they might've found a solution that is super outdated or just, you know, you go look at like the GitHub, like repo for that project. You take a look at the, um, I always like to look at the side of the like repository because it'll tell you like by directory or by file base, like when's the last time someone touched this? And you kind of have like a drop in your stomach when you see that like, oh crap, this thing that we tried to implement and we've been now working with for a week is over five years old. So there's probably, we're out on a limb if something goes wrong and there's 248 open issues on GitHub. <laughs> this is not fantastic. You know, I don't really know what we're going to do about this. And you've just burned a week, you know, using what you thought was going to be the answer only to then have to kind of retract and improvise and go back. Um, and sometimes it works perfectly. Sometimes it, you just get lucky. Sometimes you have nightmare scenarios. I've been there. That involves a lot of, you know, working a little bit extra hours a night to figure that out. Um, but that's a part about having the in-house packages that I think is really useful. You know, things, you know, are tested very well by people um, that are constantly keeping in mind that you're using a certain version of the template. So it's going to need some sort of level of backwards compatibility, which in software is, you know, fundamentally like important for almost all projects. Um, but then is also, you know, kind of forcing you to be on top of keeping things up to date. Um, you know, if things are breaking, then it's up to you. And our engineering team is super um, good about, you know, letting you know, like, hey, we need to update like certain things because there's a breaking change or there's some sort of, you know, vulnerability that we found, um, which is just a lot easier. We, we don't have vulnerabilities just so that everyone knows on the podcast. <laughs> yeah. Well, we might, but we're not going to tell you about them. <laughs> um, but, it, <laughs> but yeah, so it's just a lot easier when you have an in-house team that is basically doing your own kind of little mini NPM for you, where you know that you're not going to ever have to, you know, completely abandon something and start from scratch. Um, on the other hand, I guess maybe this is a jab is you're limited to the scope of what the engineering team has decided is useful in projects, um, which isn't necessarily a bad thing, but more so of you might come into, I might come into a scenario where I'm like, man, I wish we had a package for this and we don't yet. But that also opens up an opportunity where if I think this can be, you know, useful to a lot of teams, I'll just shoot, you know, you guys a real quick email and say, Hey, you know, doing this thing. I can kind of imagine in my head that like a lot of customers probably want something very similar to this. I think this is worth packagizing. And then you guys kind of talk it over and you decide whether it is, whether it isn't. Um, yeah. So that kind of feed, like give and take feedback, uh, I think is super useful. And that part I really like. Yeah. I want to say we're over 120 right now. You said 112, package, 112 packages that we've created for this, um, some of which work together, but predominantly are, are, are really their own thing. Uh, and I wanna say, if I had to take a guess, uh, I would say somewhere around 35 to 40% of those came from a direct project need. Somebody had a need for something, we said, okay, this is something we can build. Um, and this is something that, uh, we think has some value and, uh, we're going to go ahead and, you know, build it for you. And then you can just implement it and, and obviously save some time for the developer in that case. Um, but that does put us in the unfortunate position of being kingmakers, like you said, like we're deciding what's valuable in that case. And sometimes it's not even that we're deciding what's valuable. Sometimes it's more that we have to make a decision about how to spend our time. You know, do we have the time to spend on this right now? Or is there something else that we know 
three projects need that needs our attention versus something that specifically one project needs. You know, it, it's a very hard line to do, but it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a jab that's worthwhile. You know, we, we, we definitely do that right now. Yeah. And I, and I think, you know, one of the things that I've noticed that I'd be interested to get your thoughts on, and I think I want to try to talk a little bit in, about the angular space as well here and like how, you know, your interactions with that have gone, but, you know, something that I have noticed has been, you know, at least a pain point for me being on the other end. So I imagine it's the same for, for other people is, you know, when you're working with something that seems simple in its implementation, right? And like, let's just take the example of, you know, I have a, um, uh, like a form control and I want to move the position of the label, right? Like it's, it's above it and I want to put it on the left, right? And I've had like instances where people have reached out to us and they're like, hey, I'd like to move this label, right? And so, uh, you know, if, obviously, if you're building the application sans Breckenridge, you just take the label and you move it, right? You just move it over wherever you want it to be, right? But when you're building an application with Breckenridge, there is no label. Hint, hint, go back to our Dynamic Forms three-part episode to learn about why there is no label. Um, but there is no label for you to move. So I'm curious, like, you know, foregoing some of that control, you know, you mentioned earlier, it's nice not to have to think about a login and how you're going to do authentication. Um, but is it is it ever bad when there's things that you wish you could think about, you know, to carry that forward? Like the things that you wish you had just direct control over? Uh, any scenarios come to your mind? And, you know, maybe can you just talk about that concept a little bit? Uh, yeah, definitely. Um and I do agree that I probably should recant my statement a little bit earlier. Um, <laughs> it's nice to, to some level degree, it's nice when things are abstracted. But at the same time, you know, sometimes as developers, we just want to say, kind of like your example, like put this thing here. I'm trying to think of like a very relevant example. Um, oh, so I had an example where it was just a couple fields uh, on a page that were kind of conditional. And... I had to kind of pull everything out and do a lot of very specific logic to get all the values because they, you know, kind of sometimes there's a field there. Sometimes there's a field there. Sometimes there isn't. And I know in my head of if I was just like writing out this form by hand, this probably would have been a little simpler than having all the markup for the dynamic fields and the backing stuff. Um, so in some cases, it feels almost like bringing like a, bu like a buzzsaw to like try to cut a piece of paper. Um, if that analogy plays at all, where You're sticking with the hardware analogies for this podcast, <laughs> <was> just so <laughs> <that knows. laughs> I'm glad you set the tone, John. <laughs> um, but yeah, or like bringing you know, like floaties to like a kiddie pool or something like that. Let's get out, let's get in the summer realm a little bit. Um, where it feels like you're bringing a little too much, you know, to just kind of like figure out a very small problem, or that you kind of wish you did have a little more control over the underlying code. Um, but I think that's also a problem that exists kind of in all third-party packages necessarily where I found, I found that like recently I've worked at Miles for a number of years and I've kind of taken on a role of helping some of the newer hires that we have that we want to focus on the Breckenridge template and training them, you know, getting them up to speed on that. And one thing that I have kind of noticed, I guess, as a recurring theme is that they become so used to like, what is the Breckenridge way to do things that I almost kind of want to take them aside very quickly and be like, 
but you do understand like how we would do this in base angular, right? Like if I took away this and was like, you know, all right, make me this form. And if like, you're legitimately confused about that, that part is a little concerning. Um, so sometimes it does almost feel like you're kind of like riding with training wheels. But then if I took them off, if you fall over then, you know, that's not ideal. Um, but that's just a level of give and take and kind of knowing, you know, how does the sausage get made like under the hood? Um, and, you know, that just comes like to, from a developer perspective of like, do are you cured the kind of person who's naturally curious enough to want to know that? Or are you okay with just saying, okay, I don't need to know how this works. I just want a very like high level API almost kind of where I can just say, do this thing. And I get back what I want without necessarily knowing how that thing happens. Yeah. I, you know, it's so interesting. I really came to almost the exact same conclusion about um, maybe a month or two ago. Uh, and it was when I realized that when I'm talking about our template and dynamic forms is something that, you know, we have named, this is our thing that we've worked on. Uh, and when I say that this thing is a, a dynamic form, um, you know, but underneath it's just a reactive form, like that's a standard angular thing. Um, there seems to be no separation sometimes with some of the newer people working on this with us because uh, it, it's like to them, the dynamic form is the reactive form. It's like, no, no, the, the, the one is helping to build the other. It's still a reactive form under the hood. And so the value changes event, say, on, on a reactive form is incredibly useful in so many ways. And I remember one of the, um, one of the trainees I worked with, uh, like I said, about two months ago or something said, you know, I think that you guys should change that value changes. I don't like the way that its signature is set up. And I was like, what do you mean? I, that's angular. And they were like, no, no, you're dynamic form one. I was like, no, that that's angular. Like I, I, that's how angular chose to make it. And I'm, I don't, <laughs> we're not going to be in control of that. Uh, but it's interesting that there's no separation sometimes, like you said, because of the abstraction. Yeah. And sometimes it's just like hard to like, for, sometimes, you know, you forget that or it's hard to realize that like, you know, there is angular stuff like working under the hood here. Um, so I think, yeah, no, the packages, I still think overall are super useful. I just think sometimes you do need to know what's going on under the hood, you know, to work confidently with them or to know even if there's something missing, like to be able to phrase, I want it to be able to do this thing that I know angular can do. Um, because otherwise it just kind of feels like you're saying, I want it to do this thing and you don't really know what you're saying or like asking for or whether that's even possible. Yeah. Um, so I think yeah. being, you know, fluent in Angular or at least like, you know, very comfortable with it is always important at the end of the day. So true, John Graham. So, so I'm, true. I'm still lobbying for us to call them DERFs, the dynamic reactive forms. <laughs> the engineering team wasn't on board with that for some reason, but I thought it was a great name. Uh, yeah, instead we just call them dynamic forms. Pretty yeah. lame. Um, but yeah, I, I think that's a great point. And I think it's worth mentioning to our listeners <laughs> that we don't require you to have Angular experience to get hired here, right? We will train you, you know? So, you know, it's not always obvious, I think, when you start with Breckenridge as always kind of this looming, you know, entity to work with that, you know, there's this natural separation. Whereas I think if somebody you worked with Angular for five years and then came and worked on Breckenridge, it would be a little bit more clear, the distinction. So, you know, I, th I think some of it is the fact that, you know, we do hire people that maybe don't have great experience with, with Angular as well. So that's kind of like a challenge, a separate challenge. 
So I'm going to ask a crazy question to you here, Tom. Ooh, crazy, okay. And 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 because we've we've been talking about uh, Breckenridge, but I, I want to bring it bring it back to the core. This is ng build dash dash pod, not ng Breck dash dash pod. Not yet. Not yet. Um, I want to know from you, Tom. You know, what's your favorite, most interesting, love to work with, beautiful aspect of Angular? I mean, if I had to say, Tom, you're going to do this part of Angular applications for the rest of your life, you know, what would that feature be? And like, why does it excite you so much? Oh, uh, I feel like my answer is pretty easy here. Uh, it would definitely be working with subjects and behavior subjects. Cool. So you went with RxJS. Oh, I you love... You changed the question. I huh? love RxJS. Well, I mean, <laughs> I although RxJS... RxJS is the reactive forms to our dynamic forms conversation previously with Angular, but but I, I agree with you, Tom. RxJS is the stuff. It's almost like Tom knows that our RxJS episodes are our most listened episodes that we've ever <laughs> we've ever done. But okay, no, so I'll, I'll I'll allow your audible. I won't pin you down. Uh, so you said subjects and behavior subjects. So let's talk about that a little bit. What uh, what gets you out of bed in the morning when it comes to those? So up until I even knew that they were a thing, and I don't want to even like make fun of Angular, but I had always relied on the uh, lifecycle hook. So I had always relied on on changes, and I was doing all of my change detection that way, regardless of like how high or how low, how left or how right my component was in the page. I was just anytime something happened, go up, go up, go up, go down, go down, go down, and that was a nightmare. And if you ever have to track more than one input or one output, that becomes really complicated. And ng on changes is kind of weird. It works in a weird way, as, like in terms of the other things, because I'm pretty sure that ng on changes, and maybe I'm wrong, actually will sometimes fire like before on a knit and just say, okay, something's here. I just got this. Okay. Is it the first change? I don't know. Maybe. Is it null? I don't know. Maybe. Uh, do I have a value? Do I have a previous value? Do I have a current value? Just becomes a lot. And when you are tracking multiple things, I found that to be a nightmare. And I got into very bad scenarios where I was trying to figure out, well, why isn't this thing acting the way I want it to be? Oh, it's not initialized. Oh, well, now I got to get that. I got to grab that. Nightmare, nightmare, nightmare. Then I figured out, uh, actually through the help of uh, Chris here, that you could just have a behavior subject where you can say, okay, I have a thing. And anytime that thing changes, Everybody who subscribes to that thing, you now know about this change. I don't care if you're three components down. I don't care if you're, you know, a sibling who has no idea that I as a component even exists. Uh, but you know, as long as you, you know, subscribe to uh, the changes that I say are going to happen. Um, and I think that that has just been super useful, which kind of sets up, you know, like a state pattern where you can kind of manage all your state in one component that tracks all of these variables that anything that exists on that or as children of that component, um, they don't have to have on changes. They can just track the state and subscribe to it, which makes it, I think, a lot easier because it also lets you know exactly what the new value is. When did it change? Um, did other things change here? Um, is this the change that I'm looking for? Uh, and it's also super useful for um, even setting up like when a form changes, you know, you could set that up as a behavior subject and do specific things there. Um, so yeah, I think that's, I know technically that wasn't the answer to your question because <laughs> yeah. it is RxJS, but I feel like they're so, co 
they're so codependent upon one another that I think it's still in the realm. Yeah, and I, I think Tom is like our best marketing guy because two episodes ago, we talked about practical state management where we discussed uh, <laughs> this exact uh, thing. So if you're interested to learn more, you can go back and listen to that. Yeah, I, co- uh, I coined something in that episode. I coined it grapevine communication. What do you think, Tom? Uh, what The idea being that like a grape all the way at the bottom of the vine knows well, I was actually... <laughs> it doesn't work. Wow. Chris, it doesn't work. <laughs> wow. That is totally not where I was. But it's, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. It, the idea being that um, the input-output going from like a grandchild component all the way up to the parent, mm-hmm. um, that that input-output itself is a grapevine of communication. And we don't want that. We would rather you know it be that subject-based. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. You're saying the grapevine is bad. Yes. I, I agree. Yes. <laughs> I, don't I, like, I don't like grapes either. We're not fans of wine. We're not wine connoisseurs. Um, but I actually want to ask you the same question, Chris, sure. Mr. Angular Guru. Sure. You know, I'm sure the audience wants to know, you know, we've talked about so much Angular stuff over the past year, but like what what's really exciting for you? And you can't dodge with RxJS. I need an Angular feature from you. Yeah. I mean, I'm going to choose something that I, I personally find to be the most impactful. Um, but But I think that it's, it's so simple and lame in itself, but we'll, we'll just see what you think. I absolutely love how Angular handles uh, dependency injection, particularly how it handles the uh, providers because of the fact that it allows me to uh, pass around things so well, you know? Uh, as an example, our packages uh, in Breckenridge uh, often have some sort of what I will call a module level configuration. Uh, for instance, these are options that I want to affect every time we use a specific component from this package. I'll, I'll use the entity list as an example. So our entity list has a certain number of items per page. That's probably the standard. I think out of the box, it's 10. But let's say that this particular application doesn't like that size on their list pages. They'd rather it be 25. So in our situation, we can pass a module level config and that module level config can now say items per page are 25. Now, all the entity lists in the entire application respond and have 25 per page, which is great. But how did we accomplish that? And, and it's this wonderful dependency injection that Angular gives us that makes that possible. We basically just denote that there's a token as to this is the module level config. If you provide this token and give me an object, I will take that object whenever I need to get the module config and I'll read it, and that's what I'll use. And, and think about how powerful that is. I mean, if that existed in the framework of several other languages, um, you know, it, it would be so useful, yeah. so useful automatically. And you're specifically talking about an injection token. This is like an Angular concept here. This isn't something we created. So injection tokens exist kind of for this exact scenario. Yeah, in fact, I mean, one of the things I don't think people really realize is how much injection tokens are used already in the application. I'll give you a prime example. Uh, When you are saying that you would like uh, to have uh, an HTTP interceptor, you build a class that meets the HTTP interceptor thing, and then you provide that by saying, I want to provide an interceptor, and here's the class to use. And you can put as many of those in play as you want. So how does that really work? Well, think about what Angular is doing in the background it grabs all of the things you've provided via HTTP interceptor and then parses that and figures out how to handle HTTP service calls. It's a beautiful solution. 
It's an absolutely beautiful solution. I, I love it. I love the word beautiful there, by the way. Yes. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's, that's, you're speaking my language, my coding language. So. <laughs> big fan of that yeah no that's great and that's great to hear you know some of the perspectives about you know what it is you guys like about the framework because i think that's kind of where we always like naturally gravitate our like thoughts to you know what i mean it's like uh the things that we enjoy the most like now i'm sure you find a lot of ways to use behavior subjects and subjects in 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 a bunch of different ways and chris you came up with that ingenious injection token idea which got us away from like a lot of the four root stuff Mm -hmm. that we were bound to pre-angular six uh so you know that that was great stuff cool uh so i think uh we're getting close to about wrap-up time here uh i'd agree yeah yeah and uh you know i want to thank uh tom for joining us and we'll certainly would love to have you on for maybe some future topic discussions uh you know when it comes to the angular world um and you know let us know if, if you guys enjoyed this episode where you know we talked to some people that use the tools that we work with uh, there's plenty of other people that, well, I, I pointed out to where they would normally sit, but everybody's at home. Uh, but there's plenty of other people that we can talk to and get perspectives about. Uh, so if you're you're interested in that thing, then then let us know. But uh, yeah, I just want to give Tom, maybe you a, an opportunity, if you have any parting thoughts about the Angular world, about the Breckenridge world, or if you want to promote or just talk about anything i know you have a twitter handle but i don't know if you want to throw it out yeah there. are you, you are you on the twits or no you, uh... i'm i'm off i'm off the twits now you're are off you, the twits. are you doing I'm, grams I'm, are you grams i'm off all the social media oh yeah, am, you're on that line i am the i'm john's equivalent of not being one to track by the overlords but with social media <laughs> wow. yeah you just you take so many pictures and i'm not a, i don't take a picture guy so all the social media has just seemed kind of like i'm not really going to do that so. i'm with you tom yeah i'm with yeah. you i use them out of necessity not out of want you know? All I've really lost is that I don't know when somebody from my high school's birthday is because I don't have Facebook yeah, anymore. I, but I thought you were gonna <laughs> sounds use... like it's a big loss for you. <laughs> yeah, so it's, you know that's what keeps me up at night. I thought you were gonna say what I usually say, which is all I lost is all of my knowledge and understanding of what's going on in software, which is what would happen <laughs> if I gave up Twitter. But um, that's good. So so we're not gonna promote Twitter. But any any parting thoughts on Angular or things that you think are interesting to share with the audience? Um, I do think it's interesting that um, there is the guy. So the guys who make, um, I don't know if anyone's familiar with Dart. It is a language, a object-oriented general purpose language by Google. And there is an idea it's used to, the main thing that you would probably ever hear about it is used to make um, Flutter, which is Google's answer to everybody coming out, trying to make, you know, hybrid solutions for native apps or mobile apps. Um, and there's an interesting project that is underway to integrate Angular with Dart so that the two are very simpatico, um, so that Google's basically trying to keep the whole thing in-house and say, forget whatever you're using for your back end. Like, this is what you're going to be doing. Um, so Sign think, me up. I think that's pretty interesting. I don't know a lot about Dart, but apparently if you know, like, C-based stuff, it's very quick to learn. Um, so if they literally had a language that could do everything, like, very easily that would be very interesting to i think tom was eavesdropping on our conversation this morning chris that we were having oh you think we, you we think were, we were just talking about like when are we going to convert to a full kind of javascript stack as opposed to right now being hybrid a jam stack i know very little no about i don't want to do jam <laughs> no not jam not <laughs> jam no, 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 that's no. not your jam no. <laughs> zing uh no yeah that's cool and, and thanks for sharing that i mean tom is a uh, a fountain of uh tech excitement and knowledge so i always like uh hearing from him what he's doing 
ask him about machine learning sometime. I'm sure he'll have plenty of things to say about that as well. Uh, and how images are read by machines. I, I got that whole synopsis from him, which was great. Uh, so I appreciate that. And uh, Chris, how about you? Any any final thoughts? Um, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm just want to take this opportunity to say I appreciate you you coming on, Tom. And uh, I, I think that um, Angular is a is a is a really great framework, and I feel like we've done so much good work with it with uh, with Breckenridge. I, I'm excited for the future. So I mean, I just I feel real good about it. I guess is all I have. Awesome. And I'm excited to be with my compadres again. Um, it was weird leaving the house today. I don't know how to make eye contact anymore, but I uh, didn't really know how to do that before the pandemic, so not, <laughs> not losing too much there. Um, so yeah, it's great to be around everybody. And, and it, yeah, I echo Chris's sentiment. Thanks for, for doing this with us, Tom, and we appreciate it, uh, taking the time to, to talk about you know your experiences. Yeah, thanks for having me. Cool. So uh, thanks for listening. We'll be back to our regular scheduled um, program next time with some more angular goodness. Um, as always, if you uh, are interested in reaching out and contacting us, you can follow us on Twitter. I'm at John Graham Dev. Chris is at Pilgrim Secret. Tom is off the grid. Uh, what, what, are they, what do they say in John Wick? excommunicado from Twitter. <laughs> so you won't be able to follow him. But if you have a question, we'll get it to him. Uh, so you can uh, you can ask us. Uh, and as always, if you're uh, interested in, in you know, working for Miles Technologies, we're hiring. We're hiring fully remote. I think most of our developers we've hired this year don't live anywhere near the office. Uh, and we just hired somebody for the engineering team that's remote. So um, you can always reach out if you go to our website, milestechnologies.com slash careers. And you can see all the cool and exciting positions we have available. And, and maybe we'll have you on the podcast uh, within the near future. So um, that'll do it. Thanks, everybody, for listening. And hope to hear from you soon. Yeah, bye, everyone. Thanks so much. Bye.